Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. So we are talking about the Holy Spirit. And maybe when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, like maybe there's some anxiety that could rise up a little bit in, in some people. And uh, that's primarily why we're going to talk about it. Um, there's, the Holy Spirit has, has a, lot of, um, a lot of things said about him. A lot of people do a lot of things in his name that may or may not really be from the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so there's, there seems to be a lot of confusion and even division in regards to the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of our policies here is that um, if there's been an abuse, the answer to that abuse isn't neglect. So if, if maybe people have abused the Holy Spirit, if, if they've done things in the name of the Holy Spirit that has been abusive or manipulative or controlling or weird or whatever, we're not going to let that keep us from what the Lord actually is saying, what the scriptures are saying about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in fact, just so you know, typically in the church, when you see a lot of smoke around something, there's fire. And the reason is, is because the enemy knows what he needs to keep us from. I mean, he has a pretty good idea of how things work. He was there in the beginning. And I think that the reason there's so much controversy and uh, misinformation out there about the Holy Spirit is because the enemy is working overtime to keep us from the gold of the Holy Spirit. And if he can keep us from, you know, learning and accepting and, and growing in a relationship with him, then he's going to be able to be more effective. And if we can get past that and come into a clear understanding about the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to be more effective. So I'm excited about it. I really feel like the Lord is going to do a lot through this uh, series, and I think it's going to be uh, a pretty interesting time. And so we're, we're starting just today to just say, you know, who is the Holy Spirit? It's important that we're saying who, not what. Not what is the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. It's not a power. It's, it's not some sort of a, an extra boost that we get. It's not the feel-good tingles that you may get during worship. It's not uh, an add-on. The Holy Spirit is a person. That's really important, that we understand that the Holy Spirit isn't an it. It's a person. And so we're going to explore who is the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at some things that Jesus says. So Jesus, in this conversation, and you can turn to John 14. We're going to go through 14, 15, and 16 and bounce around in those. But John 14 begins Jesus' last talk with his disciples. He's in the upper room, and and in in about 12 hours from John 14, he is getting ready to be led to the cross. And so he's gathered around with his closest friends, and he begins to... Uh, to speak to them things that they're going to need to know. This isn't Jesus speaking to the crowds on the hill. This isn't Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. This is Jesus speaking to his closest friends right before he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he uses this time to introduce the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if you want to know something about me, if you want to know things about me, you'd be better off talking to my wife, Sarah, who knows more about me than I would say anyone else on this planet. And she would probably tell you things about me that I wouldn't want her to tell me. 
you. She, she would know more about me than I would even really hope that she does know. So when you want to get to know someone, you actually should go find out from one of their closest friends what, what they have to say about it. So that's what we're doing here. We're looking at Jesus. There's no one in the history of the world that moved so succinctly with, with the Holy Spirit than Jesus. And so we want to look at what Jesus is telling us in regards to the Holy Spirit. We want to see what, what does he say about the Holy Spirit and, and what can we learn from that as we, as we begin to understand who is the Holy Spirit. So 14, 15, and 16 is Jesus' conversation to his disciples. And so what he does is he, says, he starts off and says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going away, but I'll come back. So he's beginning the conversation. And then in uh, 14, chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus gets to the heart of what he wants uh, everyone to understand. And he says that he's going away, but he will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So there's three things we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit today. Three, three different things that will help us clue into who he is. And the first thing is that he's a helper. Jesus calls him the helper. The Holy Spirit is the helper. If we look at uh, verses 25 through 26 of chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So Jesus calls him the helper, which means the question has to become, like, how does he help? If he is the helper, how does he help? The first thing that Jesus says here is that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us all things. And he's, he's going to teach us all things. That's not just for the disciples. It's not just for those here that, that heard in the, in the upper room. It's for us. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And he's going to teach us all things. It's one of the ways that he helps us. He helps us to understand things that are difficult, understand the deep things of God, understand how things work. And not just in a religious context. Like, if the Holy Spirit is the teacher... And if he is the spirit of truth and knows all things and he lives inside of you, which he does, then you have access to, to a person who knows everything. And it, he doesn't specify what he's allowed to teach you and what he's not. So this would have been really good to know when I was in school. I would have, actually, I probably would have slacked off a lot more. I just really hoped for the Holy Spirit to show up somehow. But, but this is, I mean, this is what it says is that he actually has the ability, you have the ability to begin to learn things from the Holy Spirit. You just have to ask. Like, God gives us more free will than really we would want. Like, he allows more free will and more decisions and more choices than I think I would if I was God. He's not just going to zap you and, and give you all of the knowledge because he wants to grow in a relationship. He wants you to begin to ask him, to, to seek him. And he says that you'll find him if you seek him. And so the Holy Spirit inside of you is the teacher who can teach you all things. He can teach you how to read the scriptures. He can teach you how to understand science. He can teach you how to understand a relationship that's in trouble. He, he can teach you all of these sort of things. And the only thing you have to do is begin to ask him. And I think too often we, we just don't ask him because we don't really believe this stuff. Hopefully after this we begin to believe it. And, and I think it's okay to just try it. I mean, if, if you'd like to know something, if you'd like to learn something, why not just try and test Jesus at what he says and see if it's real or not? I find myself a lot of times over my head recently 
especially in, in these past couple years of planting this church. Uh, and uh, most of the time I have no clue what I'm doing. So you should feel comfortable about being here. But I've been, because of that, because I put myself in a position where I can't, I can't really fake it, I can't really um, you know, rely on years of schooling and divinity school or any of that sort of stuff, I have been more reliant on the Holy Spirit to teach me things than ever before. And it's pretty amazing. And just in case you're wondering, like, I don't just come off and, and I just, just spout off all this stuff and be like, Holy Spirit just told me all this crazy stuff. And I go back and check it. And what's, what's the most crazy thing is I'll, I'll be learning something that the Holy Spirit is teaching me, specifically like about scriptures and the Bibles, and I'll just be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And I'll think that I'm the first one to ever come up with that. <laughs> but this has all been around for a while, and a lot of smarter people than me have been looking into this. And I'll typically discover someone just said the same thing that I said, you know, a couple thousand years ago. But it's just like this affirmation and confirmation that he really is teaching me things and he can teach you things as well. Not just about the scriptures, especially about the scriptures, but not just about the scriptures. It's incredible. So that's how he helps. The second way he helps is that Jesus says that he will bring all the things that Jesus said to our remembrance. So if you've ever wondered how are the Gospels so succinct, how do they line up so perfectly? And, 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 and you'll notice that there are parallels in each Gospel of things that Jesus said and all of this sort of stuff. And, the, the, the gospel writers, they didn't have the memo option on their phones that they could just record everything that Jesus was saying, right? I mean, they, they didn't even write it all at the time. Most of them didn't even know what was going on. But, but years later, the Holy Spirit brings these things back to their remembrance of what Jesus said. And they're able to pin that down in the gospel narratives, and we're able to read that now. And just like it is with them, it is with us. And I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone, and, and you just remember something that Jesus has said that, that so perfectly applies to the situation that you're in. If, if you've ever uh, been in, in, in a conversation with someone who doesn't believe, who's, who's uh, an atheist or whatever, it really is fun to, to, to do that, and you'll just have these things pop in your head that there's no way you could have known that Jesus said. Incidentally, you should be having a lot of conversations with atheists. Right? We should be out there. And, uh, and the more you put yourself in those positions of like friendly conversations, by the way, not mean conversations, but just, you know, friends that we have that don't believe, it's amazing what, what the Holy Spirit brings to our memory of things that Jesus said. So he'll bring to mind uh, things that he said. He'll teach you all things. And then uh, he'll bring truth. Later in Jesus' conversation with the disciples, uh, Jesus gives the third mention of the coming helper. And he says in chapter 15, verse 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Now, it's important to note that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Because the Spirit of truth is essentially the antidote. It's, it's, the, it's the way that we're going to undo the works of the enemy. See, Satan, Jesus calls Satan earlier the father of lies. So if Satan is the father of lies, then the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so the way that you're going to begin to undo the lies of the enemy is that you're going to be able to access your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to begin to speak to you the truths about your life, about your situation, about other people. And you're going to begin to learn that's the truth and this is a lie. 
And the more your, your uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit progresses, the more your intimacy grows, the more your ability to discern truth and lie. And so when, when a lie comes, when, when, when maybe a sickness comes and someone begins to identify themselves as, I, I'm, just, I'm just a cancer patient. I'm just someone who's sick. I'm just someone who can't have a baby. I'm just whatever. The spirit of truth can then rise up inside of us and say, no, you're not. And we can begin to proclaim the truth of those people, the truth that God had for those people before he created them even, before he created the world. And so we can begin to access the real truth, the truth of our situations where we can see that that things are looking very grim and dark. And that's a lie. And we can begin to access the truth and say, but this, this is what the Lord says. This is what the spirit of truth says. And incidentally, once your relationship continues to grow and you continue to learn the voice of the Holy Spirit and and you grow in your discernment of truth, you can actually begin to smell out what is a lie. Who's lying to you? Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and and you can become so familiar to his voice that he can say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, that's not true. And so that's, that's the third way that he can bring help. And I think that would be a big help. To, to me, if I could begin to understand what is truth and what is lie, because the father of lies roams around, seeking whom he can destroy and devour. And the primary means that he does that is through lies. And so we're just bombarded all day, every day, with lies. Lies from society, lies from relatives, lies from friends. And the Holy Spirit is wanting to teach us the truth, his truth. Later on in John uh, 16, and this is verse 7, Jesus goes on to give uh, his disciples the most thorough introduction. He says this in 16.7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then Jesus continues and he explains some more ways that the Holy Spirit will provide help. In John uh, 16, 12 through 14, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That's interesting, right? He's with his disciples, he's getting ready to go, and he wants to tell them other things, but he knows that they're just not ready for it. However, Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So he says that not only will the spirit guide us into all truth, but this sort of puts, puts a, um, a cherry on top of the discussion, like there's no doubt the Holy Spirit speaks. Right? Jesus is saying that he will speak. He will speak to you. So sometimes I, I think one of the controversies is whether or not we can actually still hear, hear the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't put a caveat in this. And his words still go on. And so this, this kind of ends the discussion on whether or not God still speaks. Right? He, didn't, he hasn't taken a break for a couple thousand years. He still speaks. He's still active. He's still moving. He's still speaking. And we need to learn, because he's a person, we need to learn what does he sound like. We need to learn to, to listen to his voice. And the more we, we cultivate the relationship with the Holy Spirit, the easier it will become to hear his voice. As Jesus says, he will still speak. So we have to understand that 
that he's our helper. He speaks to us. He guides us into all truth. The word helper here is the, uh, is the Greek word parakletos. And when the, when the Greek heard this, they, they heard advocate. They heard someone like a lawyer, someone that's interceding on their behalf, that's going, going before the world, going before the Father, that's interceding uh, on their behalf. It's interesting. Jesus goes on to tell us uh, that the Holy Spirit will continue to be a helper to us in, in 8, uh, 16, 8, verse 11. He says that when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. So sometimes this, this verse is kind of misunderstood. So we need to break that down. Convict may have like negative connotations in your mind. Like you may think about the conviction as something wrong, but essentially the, con the word convict means to convince, right? And so he says that the Holy Spirit is going to convince us of three things. He's going to convince the world of sin. He's going to convince of righteousness and of judgment. So, so when, the, when the Holy Spirit is convincing the world of sin, what he's doing is he's actually saying he's working in our lives and other people's lives to convince us that we're under the rule and impression of sin. Right? Anytime, 1 Corinthians tells us, you cannot call Jesus your Lord. You can't really mean that he's our Lord without the Holy Spirit. So no one is going to come into the revelation that, that they need Jesus to be free from their bondages of sin without the Holy Spirit. You know what that does? That takes the pressure off of us. We don't have to have signs anymore that, that work to convince the world that they're sinners. Like, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Right? Don't take his job. And if, if you really want someone to come into the faith, to become a believer, then what our prayer should be is, Holy Spirit, would you do a work in them? Would you begin to teach them and show them that they are under the bondage of sin. Because it takes the Holy Spirit to remove the fog from our eyes to see ourselves for what we really are. I mean, do you remember at the moment where you realized that you desperately needed a Savior? Like, you're not going to realize that you need a Savior unless you understand that I, I need saving. Right? I mean, someone could come to you and say, hey, I'm here to save you. And you just say, from what? Right? But it's not until they realize the depths of their depravity, the depths of their situation, their, their absolute need for a Savior, can they be convinced that there is one and that they need him. So his job is to convince the world that they're in bondage. It's not our job. So you're off the hook. You don't need to do that anymore. You can just begin to pray for those that you love. Pray that the Holy Spirit brings about that conviction because we can't save anyone. We just can't do it. But Jesus can. And we can disciple. So he's going to convince the world uh, of sin. And then it goes on to say that uh, he's going to convince us of righteousness. Now righteousness, if you look that word up, it, sometimes we think that it means like doing good stuff, like being good. You know, but essentially it's a, it's a being word. It's who we are. And righteousness, uh, the word, if you look it up, it means the state of him who is as he ought to be. Which is pretty interesting. The word righteousness. And so he's going to convince us of righteousness. Once he's convinced us 
of our sin and our depravity and our need for a Savior, he then convinces us once we come under the Lordship of Jesus and we, and we call Jesus our Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit and we become born again and washed in his blood, then he convinces us of our righteousness because it says that Jesus goes to the Father. And no one can come to the Father except through him. So now that he's ascended to the Father, we're now convinced of our righteousness, convinced that we are as we ought to be. We become convinced not only of our right standing before God, but as our right standing as creation. Because when we're born again, we've talked about this, when we're born again, we're born as new creation. And it need, we need the Holy Spirit to continually remind us, hey, that's not who you are anymore. You're not the same person that was caught up in those sin habits, not the same person that was under that spirit of fear, under that depression, all of that sort of stuff. Like, you're not that person anymore. He died. She died. And when you're born again, you're raised with him as a new creation, and it takes the Holy Spirit to actually help us to believe that. Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to continue to resurrect that dead guy that you're dragging behind you. And you're going to continue to believe that you're still them. That you're still just under bondage and in chains and all of that sort of stuff. And the Holy Spirit needs to come in and do a work and convince us of our righteousness. It's interesting, uh, the word parakletos, a lot of scholars uh, believe that, that that word didn't really exist in the Greek uh, until they pinned the Gospels and used that word. And they, they believe that the word was a transliteration of an Aramaic word, Jesus was Aramaic. He spoke a lot of Aramaic. And so if you go back and look at that word uh, in the Aramaic, it, it means something a little bit differently. And what it means is the word para, or however you say it, para, whatever, means to rescue, deliver, save, redeem, finish, complete. And kletos means curse. So quite literally, like, like the transliteration of that Aramaic word, the Holy Spirit, the helper then, means redeemer or ender of the curse. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he is the redeemer and the end of the curse that you lived under before. He convinces us of that. And he works to restore us to the Father. So then it talks about that the Spirit convinces the world of judgment. Now, the, he, he goes on, but sometimes we stop there. Sometimes it convinces the world of judgment, so we just continue to judge. But that's not what he says. He finishes his thought. He says that he convinces the world, convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world, Jesus is talking about Satan. He often calls Satan the ruler of the world. And what he says is, is that 2,000 years ago, the ruler of the world was judged. When Jesus rose from the grave, defeated death, hell, and the grave, ascended to the Father, that's when Satan came under judgment. And God said, you're done. It's finished. Now, we're in the in-between time. He hasn't come back to restore his kingdom. But what the Holy Spirit needs to do is he needs to convince us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Because he who is in us has achieved victory. And now, because he's in us, we have victory over him. Which means this. You're not in bondage or enslaved to those things that you used to be anymore. Because he's been judged. And he's been found guilty. And it can become illegal for the enemy to entangle you. It can become illegal for him to continue to keep you in bondage under that stuff. What you have to do is become convinced that that's actually true. 
Convinced that, that Jesus is authority, he's taken back all the authority and begin to cast those things out, begin to understand that I don't have to live in this sort of situation anymore, that, that the enemy has been judged. Which means then, if, if you find yourself going around the mountain with all of these different sin habits and sin patterns and sin thoughts, whether it's depression, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety or lust or greed or envy or any of those things, if you find yourself that seems to be something you continually deal with, then what you can do is go to the Holy Spirit and say, I can't stop this, but I know you can. And begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to overcome those things. And through his power, because of the authority that he has, which now we have, you actually get to move past those. Did you know that? Like you can kill sin. doesn't mean you'll ever be fully rid of ever sinning again, but it means that you can continue to grow and learn and stop doing things that are harmful for you. Otherwise, Jesus is a really impossible mentor as opposed to a prototype. And we should have lives that are overcoming. We should have lives that are overcoming fears and worries and anxieties and, and depression and all of those sort of things. And those are real, and there's, there's real components to those, and there's real things that we have to deal with. But ultimately, the, the, the macro story of our life is one of progression from those towards him. It doesn't mean it's going to happen instantaneously, but it means that it can happen. And maybe there, I think there's some people that they don't even have a hope of ever changing. This is just something they're going to have to deal with. I, th I think the word for you is that there's hope. There's hope to stop. There's hope to change. There's hope to think differently through the power of the Spirit. So the first part is he's our friend. The second part is that, uh, or the first part is he's our helper. The, the second part is that the Holy Spirit is our friend. He's our friend. Like he's a person and he's supposed to be our friend. And our friend isn't weird. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. Now, his ways are way different. They're way higher. So it may cause you to do something that may make you look weird compared to how you're used to acting, but thankfully we don't have to continue to act the way that we've always acted, right? The Holy Spirit isn't weird. And he's not necessarily interested in making you look weird. That's not his chief goal. I think sometimes he likes it. <laughs> but he's not. He's our friend. And the question is, have you, have you actually looked at the Holy Spirit as a friend and a helper? As a friend that you begin to, to form a relationship with? A, a relationship, which, by the way, is, is a two-way street. Like, you can't have a relationship with your phone, right? I mean, it can talk back, kind of, but... It's not satisfying. Siri doesn't really fill those longings for communication and conversation. But you can't have a relationship with an inanimate object because they can't talk back. They can't give you their opinions. They can't. The Holy Spirit is a friend that you can develop a really meaningful relationship with. One where you begin to grow. And relationships do grow over time, right? You don't automatically enter into a very deep, committed relationship on day one. It's a process of growing. 
And the more that you work at this relationship, the more that you begin to form a relationship and, and move towards a relationship and, and see him as a relationship and acknowledge him. And, and you wake up in the morning understanding that he's inside of you and, you and you acknowledge him and say, good morning, Holy Spirit, hello. That may seem weird, but is it any weirder that the Holy Spirit is inside of you? And because he, he's a person, he's waiting for you to begin to acknowledge him begin to recognize him, to call on him, to talk to him. And, and if you only have a relationship with someone because you need something, that's a weird relationship. That's not a healthy relationship. If you only have a relationship that was based on uh, our time together 10 years ago, then that's a weird relationship. A relationship is kind of a daily ongoing thing, and he's a friend that, that is, is wanting to develop a relationship with you. I mean, I, I would say that he, he is desperately wanting to develop a relationship with you. Jesus gives a lot of parables about this, about, about God's attitude towards finding us and saving us and building a relationship to us. And in that same way, the Holy Spirit is longing for a relationship with us. And so what we do, because we're afraid that he's weird, because we're afraid of looking weird, what we, what we say is, you know what, I, I can, I can, there's too much in, in the scriptures to really completely ignore the Holy Spirit. I can't do that. But I don't, want to, I don't want all that other stuff that I'm afraid of. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open a little bit of a door. You're, I'm going to let you just stick your foot in. And you can have this part and I like the chills in worship. That's cool. So if we could just stop there, um, we're good. And I understand that maybe better than anyone because I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic movement that didn't do a great job of explaining all of the things that I was seeing. And so I developed sort of walls that I threw up. Uh, lies that I believed about the Holy Spirit. And I didn't want that. I didn't want him to do anything that I wasn't okay with. And essentially that's extremely, an extremely strange view of the Holy Spirit who, we're going to talk about this in a second, is God. I mean, can, can you feel comfortable if, if God was here saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in just a small amount, but because I'm afraid of looking funny or I'm afraid of what those other people did, I'm not going to really give you access. I'm not going to go 100% into this thing. You can have a little bit. I don't think we would ever say that to God. I don't think we'd say that to Jesus. Right? Would Jesus take it all? Right? But that same God is wanting full access. And I think too often we, we grieve the Holy Spirit by not really allowing him into our lives, keeping him at bay, telling him what he can and can't do, which means that he's not God in your life. It means you are. But he's your friend. He wants, he wants, he wants to come all the way in. And so as a friend, he, he gives you things. You get, to, you get to have things as a result of this friendship. The first is power. 
Acts 1.18, or Acts 1.8 says that you shall, this is Jesus, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. See, in Acts, these guys that, that were completely open to it, they, they uh, tarried in an upper room. They waited on the Holy Spirit. They knew they needed him because Jesus said, don't do anything without the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. They already had the Holy Spirit. He breathed it into them. But then he says, you need to wait and don't do a thing until you're clothed with power. And then you can go. And so these disciples, uh, around 120, went up to this upper room and they waited and they waited and they waited because they were desperate for whatever it was Jesus said they needed in order to go out and fulfill the works and the call that they did. And then those people got a reputation of men that turned the world upside down because they moved in a power that no one had ever witnessed before, the power of the Holy Spirit. You see... We need to have that. We need to be desperate for the things that Jesus tells us to be desperate for. And he said that the Holy Spirit is going to come on you in power and in fire. And who are we to judge what it looks like someone's reacting when they're on fire? When someone's burning, they may roll on the ground. They may jump up and down. They may scream. I mean, that's what happens when you get lit on fire. And if I'm not on fire and I'm seeing someone that's on fire, I say, you know, could you tone it down a bit? We don't want to freak anybody out. And if I was on fire, I would say, I'm on fire. What do you want me to do? And it's that power, that baptism of fire, that we desperately need. And even right now as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, even right now as we're beginning to, to even entertain the idea that maybe we've kept the Holy Spirit at bay, that maybe we've, we've given him sort of an arm's length, you're going to begin to feel things, even sitting right here, that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to whisper into your ear. He's going to begin, you're going to begin to sense him. There's going to be warmth and electricity that's going to begin to fall. And that's the Holy Spirit gently nudging you to say, I'm here and I'm your friend. And just receive that. Because for too long, we've grieved him. For too long, we've kept him at bay. And so he gives power. The second thing he gives, he gives is love. The, the famous love chapter that, that people preach about at weddings from Corinthians is sandwiched in between doctrines of the Holy Spirit. Because God is love, and his spirit is love that dwells inside of us, and so we're, we're unable to manifest love without his spirit bringing us into more of his love. So what you get, the more you grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, the more you begin to look like him, and what he really looks like is love. And you're going to begin to see love come up from you in different ways to unexpected people, people that are hard to love. People that you haven't been able to love in the past. He's just going to begin to grow that in you as a result of a growing relationship with this friend, the Holy Spirit. The third thing is the fruits, and this is connected to love. We find the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22, and, and these fruits are love, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. On and on they go. And, and these fruits of the Spirit are, are what naturally begins to grow up out of you as a relationship with the Holy Spirit develops. So a really good test 
on, on how are you doing in your relationship with the Holy Spirit is to see those fruits and then ask someone who knows you really well, how am I doing in these areas? Don't ask yourself, because you'll lie to yourself if you're anything like me. And so if you can find someone who, who is a trusted person that always tells you the things you never want to hear, but you're glad they told you afterwards, find them and go over the list and say, how am I doing? And you'll know pretty quickly that you've got some areas of improvement. There's, there's not even a seed of that fruit. Like the Holy Spirit's got some work to do. And if you find yourself lacking in that, the best thing to do, because it's his fruit, it's not our fruit, is you begin to ask him to grow that inside of you. Begin to ask him, Lord, I am really struggling with patience. Like, I, I have no patience. And we can't make ourselves be more patient. It's impossible. But we can ask him and pray that the Holy Spirit, would you begin to grow patience inside of me? I need it. I can't do it. I, I need you to do it. And so he begins to grow the, the fruits. And the fourth thing that he does is that he, he gives you gifts. He's a gift giver. And he gives you gifts that are there to help you, that are there, are there to, to help you become an overcomer, help you as you're praying with people, help you navigate life. And, and I think a lot of times that, that we, we come up with a list of gifts that we may or may not be okay with, and the other gifts we're not so much okay with, and so we're okay with these gifts, but not these gifts, but we don't get to choose. We just get to choose whether or not we get to participate. And so the Holy Spirit is, is, is giving gifts all the time. And, and the gifts are situational gifts. They're not necessarily like, like one gift. Like we don't each only get one gift. Like I get the gift of healing. Some people can move a little bit more in that. But he gives gifts as he sees fit. And so if you're in a situation where you're praying for someone, and we're going to pray for some sick people uh, af after this service. So if you're, if you're sick, if you're in pain, uh, we've had some words about different kinds of injuries and all of that, but um, if you come, come, come up to someone and they're sick and they need healing, then you can say, Holy Spirit, would you please just release your gift of healing in this situation because the Holy Spirit is the one that heals, not us. And then begin to move into that. So he gives gifts. There's this really interesting story uh, of uh, Bill Cosby when he was, um, he grew up pretty poor, and, uh, and so his mom was a single mom. She worked and uh, put him through, and so then he became pretty wealthy. And, uh, and so he, he would buy her all of these gadgets and all of these, these new things to try and help her uh, sort of have a better life. And so one of the things that, that he bought her was a toaster. And, and so he noticed that when he came back to visit her, the toaster was still in the box. And so he thought, well, maybe it didn't work. And so he kept buying toasters. So finally, like, the fridge, everything had these boxes of toasters. Until he finally said, you know, what are you doing? And she said, I like to do it the old way. And so she wasn't accessing the gifts that he was giving her because she was comfortable with the old way. And I think a lot of times that's us, right? I mean, we're not comfortable with the new, and so we're comfortable with the way it used to be. And so we have all these gifts, and we just put them on a shelf. And we try to struggle through life. But he's, a, he's giving us the gifts, again, not to make us look weird, but because he's a helper and a friend. And we need to begin to see those gifts from that vantage point. As our helper and our friend is giving us gifts that should help us in, in this situation. The last point is that the Holy Spirit is God. And we've, we've kind of had to talk about this the whole time. He's God. 
He's not a lesser God. He's, he's not kind of God. He's God. And, and the big question is, do we see the Holy Spirit as God? I think most of us don't. But honestly, like, he's, he's kind of our shot here. Like, Jesus and the Father are up there somewhere. And Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf. And then he sent his Spirit to rest inside of us. So the Holy Spirit is what we got. And, and whether or not you're more comfortable with Jesus doesn't really matter. Because you have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who is God. I mean, this is a ginormously radical idea in the scope of human history. That God actually has his presence, the presence of God, dwelling inside of us. Right? Resting inside of us. And because of that, everything should look different. But the enemy is working overtime to convince us that the Holy Spirit is weird, and, and then we just get all strange with our prayers, and, and we don't understand that God is inside of us through his Holy Spirit. And if God is inside of us, if the Holy Spirit is God, then I believe we would treat him differently. I believe we wouldn't be so, um, so comfortable giving him access to certain areas and not access to whatever. I believe we would actually say, Holy Spirit, come. Have your way. Whatever you want to do. I don't care if it's going to make me look crazy. I don't care if it's going to make me feel weird. Whatever I'm worried about, I want you. I want you more than my dignity. More than I'm afraid of looking weird, I would rather have you and everything you have for me. See, every time you have a choice, you have a choice that you can choose. You can choose respectability or you can choose the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, you can't have both. And in every situation, we're probably more inclined to choose being respectable in everyone's eyes as opposed to just giving him complete unfettered access and saying whatever you want. Because he's God. Just in case you're wondering if he really is God. Acts uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 3 through 4. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that? It's kind of an awkward one. We should use that in our offering calls. Um, <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira had some property. They sold it. Uh, they only brought a part of it. They lied and said... Um, yeah, this is it, and it didn't turn out well for them. Uh, but it says this, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, what is, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So here, Peter's saying that you lied to the Holy Spirit, and then he says you've lied to God. So just in case you're wondering, is he really God? He really is God. And so now we have God. God the Holy Spirit. God the Ghost is what we're calling this sermon series. And we've, we've kept him from things. We've, we've relegated him from things. We've um, gone over and over what he can and can't do. 
We have denominational splits on what's appropriate for him to do and what's not appropriate for him to do. I mean, there's, there's not much more contentiously debated as opposed to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go through all of that during this series. Every sort of controversial top, topic, we're just going to run into it and see what happens. Because he's God, and I don't get to decide how he acts, and I don't get to decide what he can do with me. It's just not my place. And we don't get to decide what he can and can't do in this church because he's God. And so we're going to have, we're going to have ministry time, but I, I think the ministry time here, I think the question as we start worshiping, as we start to, 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 to lean into this, is to say, where have we grieved you, Holy Spirit? Like, do we, have we given you access? Or because we don't want to do those things or we're not too sure of these sort of things, are we only giving you pieces of our lives? Because it's not how it works. You're either in or you don't want to have a part of it. But he can't have just a little bit. He's God. And so we may have said yes to Jesus, but are you saying yes to his spirit? Now, his spirit only testifies of things to Jesus, but we can't tell his spirit what he can and can't do. Otherwise, he's not our Lord. Otherwise, we, we have idols. We have idols of dignity. We have idols of respectability. We have fear of man. We have all of these things that are keeping us from actually giving him access. And so as we begin this series, I think it's a good place to begin the series and, and, and to just keep this in our minds to say, you know what? I, I'm just going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to give you total control. Are there places that I've said are off limits? These are things that you ask the Holy Spirit, by the way. Are there things that, that I've told you I don't want that? Have you experienced things? Have you seen things? And you've, you've blatantly said, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like those people. What you're doing is you're saying, Holy Spirit, you can only do the things that I tell you is okay with me to do. And that's not a conversation you have with God. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to just repent. Repent means to change the way we think, right? It means to say, I guess I haven't seen you as God. Would you help me to see you as God? And by the way, God, I am so sorry. Thank you for your son that, that I was able to have such a crazy view of you and say things and you didn't somehow kill me. Thank you for that. Because he's so good and loving and he loves you. And then we open ourselves up and say, you know what? I want to be a man or a woman that has a reputation of turning the world upside down. And that means I need you, Holy Spirit. All of you. Everything you got. If that means I'm going to look silly, I'm up. Let's do it. And so I think that's the prayer right now. That's the prayer we pray. That's the prayer we go home with this week. What have we said is off limits? What have we told God he can't do? And then we repent of that. We ask his forgiveness of that. Right? Forgive us. And it's not on purpose. He's not mad at you. But forgive us of our arrogance to even think that we can tell God what he can and can't do. And then to begin to invite him and say, whatever you want. And that's a scary prayer. But sometimes we just got to hold our breath and jump. 
And even right now, the Holy Spirit is going, he, he so wants a relationship with you that it's not like he's far off. He's just, he's waiting on you to begin to start a relationship. And even during this time, he's been whispering, you've been feeling things, he's been bringing up things that you've said, said maybe in passing, maybe even caustically as a joke to someone else about those people. He's bringing those things to your mind right now too as a chance to say, I'm sorry. You're God, I'm not. I'm not God, you're God. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. And we say that you're God. The third part of the Trinity. And we repent of ways that we have grieved you, ways that we have kept you out of our lives, of things that we've told you are off limits that we can or can't do. We're sorry. And Holy Spirit, we want all of you. Every part. You can take all of us. You can take our dignity. You can take our hearts, you can take our fears, you can take everything. Would you begin to work in us and begin to open our eyes to see where we've cut you off, where we've said no more? And you're so kind and you're so gentle and you're so loving. And we just begin to whisper your forgiveness into our ears about that. We just release the power of the Holy Spirit over this church in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you do what only you can do? Would you begin to move? Would you begin to show us where we've cut you off? For all upcoming events or more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.